In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. I'd like to welcome you all to our Perseverant Family Conversation. And as always, it's great to be with all of you. We always like to begin our conversation by inviting Mary to be with us. Mary is truly the Mother of God, <clears throat> the greatest of all her privileges. Mary is also the mother of the church. And most important, Mary is the mother of each and every one of us. And when we pray the Hail Holy Queen at the end of the Rosary, we also invoke Mary as our life, our sweetness, and our hope. So let's uh, start off our conversation this morning by inviting Mary to be with us, to pray for us, to pray with us, and to accompany us all the days of our life, <coughs> as we say. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and bless the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Now let's invite to be with us our spiritual director. What a privilege it is to have as our spiritual director the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, of course, has many titles among which would be the Holy Spirit is the paraclete. He's also known as the gift of gifts. Holy Spirit is also known as the, the sweet guest of our souls. Holy Spirit is also known as our counselor, as well as our consoler. The Holy Spirit is also our sanctifier. In our pursuit of holiness, the Holy Spirit is essential for us. The Holy Spirit is also <clears throat> our interior master. In this sense, St. Paul says we don't know how to pray as we ought but the Holy Spirit intercedes with ineffable groans so that we can say, Abba. Abba, which means Daddy or Father. So let's um, invite the Holy Spirit to be with us and to give us a lot of light, a lot of peace, a lot of joy. So we can bring this to a world that's really hungering for God more than anything else. So let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created. Thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. 
O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us that by the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Michael, pray for us. St. Gabriel, pray for us. St. Raphael, pray for us. Saint Ignatius of Loyola, pray for us. Saint Francis Xavier, pray for us. Saint Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. Saint Teresa of Avila, pray for us. Saint Maria Faustina Kowalska, Pray for us. Well, God's angels and saints, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, my friends, the family that prays together stays together. How true that is. The family that prays together stays together. So I'll be praying for all of you today in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Of course, the most important prayer in the whole world is the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. So I'd like to place all of you on the altar when they celebrate Mass today, and beg for special graces for all of you. Special graces for all of you. Of course, the holy sacrifice of the Mass, my friends, is by far the greatest of all prayers. No greater prayer than the Mass. So I'd like to offer these specific intentions. Number one would be that all of us would be open to the to the inspirations and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All of us would be open to the inspirations and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All of you would be open to the inspirations and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you might pray this prayer today. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come through the heart of Mary. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come through the heart of Mary. 
My second intention would be, I like to always be praying for our families, your families. Especially like to pray for the teenagers and young adults and many families who have walked away from God. God is no longer the center of their life. Quite the contrary, God is pushed to the margins, sometimes almost snuffed out by many. So I'd like to pray that your children would come back, come back to the source and fountain of life, which is God himself. So I'd like to place uh, your family, your your children on the altar, praying for their conversion and salvation. Jesus says, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? Is it really worth it? We're here to get to heaven. And my third intention will be related to that topic. I'd like to pray for the conversion of sinners. But especially I would like to pray for especially I'd like to pray for the conversion of deathbed sinners. Conversion of deathbed sinners. That they would open their hearts to God's love and mercy and forgiveness. As Jesus said in the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. All right. So, I'd like to start off today in our family conversation. Yesterday we entered into ordinary time, and I gave all of you the recipe of holiness of St. John Henry Newman. The conclusion of his recipe was to try to do all the ordinary activities of your daily life with extraordinary love. That's also the essence of the spirituality of St. of St. Therese to Try to do all the ordinary things of our daily life with an extraordinary love. So holiness does not depend so much upon great actions to performing miracles, but rather in loving God and doing everything for the honor and glory of God. So today... Being in ordinary time, today being Wednesday, I would strongly encourage all of us to grow in our devotion to St. Joseph. That's right, even though Pope Francis proclaimed the year of St. Joseph a couple years ago, doesn't mean that after that year, ended that our devotion to St. Joseph should decline, quite the contrary. As a result of that year of St. Joseph, it should be such that our devotion to St. Joseph is 
is still growing. Because if we do really love St. Joseph, he will bring us closer to Mary and Mary to Christ. There you have the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Last week we celebrated the memorial of St. Andre Bisset, the first male Canadian saint. He was a great saint because he loved God, but his specific charism of Andre Bisset was his great love and trust for St. Joseph. In our conversations, as well as our Ignatian Forum, we spoke quite a bit about him on his feast day. And one of the hallmarks of the life of André Bisset was the beginning of the building of the Oratory of St. Joseph. André Bisset lived, his residence was close to a plot of land that the Holy Cross fathers were trying to acquire, but the owners of that plot of land did not want to give it. So Andre Bisset heard about this, so he decided to bury a medal there in the land. The thing was to make a novena to St. Joseph, and what happened was the owners of that land, they did not want to relinquish the land decided to sell the land to the community of the Holy Cross fathers and brothers so that they were able to start to build the biggest oratory or church in the world to St. Joseph. So Wednesday, my friends, Wednesday is the day in which we like to honor good St. Joseph. That's right, Wednesday. Wednesday is the day in which we like to honor good St. Joseph. Many ways that we can do it. For example, this evening I have my, I have the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass at 6 o'clock in Spanish this evening. Given that there's no obligatory saint that we celebrate today, what I will do is I will celebrate the vote of Mass in honor of St. Joseph. The Church allows when there's no obligatory memorial or feast day that we can choose to celebrate what is called a vote of Mass. So it's the custom of the Oblates to um, honor St. Joseph by celebrating the uh, votive Mass in honor of Good St. Joseph. Also, what you might do is every Wednesday to pray the Litany of St. Joseph. That book that Father Donald Calloway wrote, a book of consecrating herself to St. Joseph, has as one of the most salient themes is he's chosen to take many of the invocations of the litany of St. Joseph and, and give a, 
a nice, short, succinct chapter on those invocations, leading us to enter into a dialogue with this great saint. St. Joseph, my friends, is the greatest of all saints. Even a little bit of theology for you. Here's some technical theological words that I've mentioned them before, but it's good to refresh our memory. Latria, hyperdulia, protodulia, and dulia. Latria, <clears throat> we attribute to God, which means we praise God. We praise the Blessed Trinity. Then hyperdulia means the highest veneration we give to Mary. Then protodulia would be veneration first and foremost to St. Joseph. Then dulia. Dulia would be the veneration that we, we give to the saints. So today, you might even try to imagine that wherever you're going, St. Joseph is accompanying you. In your work, try to imagine that you're working side by side with St. Joseph. And of the many titles that are given to St. Joseph, he's known as St. Joseph the Worker. So much is this the case that two times during the course of the year, we church celebrates a liturgical feast day in honor of St. Joseph. Of March 19th is the principal one, St. Joseph the Husband of Mary. But then May 1st is also a feast day in honor of St. Joseph, and it's St. Joseph the Worker. So let's ask St. Joseph to pray for us. Good, my friends. Good, my friends. I'm very impressed by the by the um, series called Chosen with uh, Jonathan Rumi. Very impressed. So much so that during the week after New Year's, we had a three-day mini-retreat for confirmation students in which we we portrayed for them three different episodes from the life of Christ in the episodes of Chosen. And our purpose was to help the young people to get to get to know God better, get to know Jesus Christ all the more. That's what we're going to do today. Many of you have done the spiritual exercises, and the heart of the spiritual exercise of St. Ignatius of Loyola is to get to know Christ. It's that fruit that we beg for once we enter into the life of Christ, and that fruit is intimate knowledge, intimate knowledge of Jesus, so that we love him more ardently and we follow him more closely. So that we're going to do today. We entered into the readings in ordinary time yesterday, and we're reading through the Gospel of St. Mark. St. Mark. 
We're in the first chapter. So I'd like to kind of walk through this first chapter of St. Mark. And uh, I'd like to glean some golden nuggets. St. John of the Cross says, to get to know Christ is like descending into a gold mine. The deeper you descend into the gold mine, the more rich of the pockets of gold that are present there for the gold miners. So it is with Christ. We are called to go deeper and deeper in our knowledge and love and our willingness to follow Christ. So just a a review of yesterday, we had Jesus who was going to the synagogue in Capernaum, where St. Peter lived, in, in Capernaum along Lake Galilee. He goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath. There in the synagogue is a man that's uh, possessed by a bad spirit. And he cries out, I know who you are, Jesus, son of David. You're the son of the Most High. Have you come to torment us before our time? So, the man possessed by the devil, the devil recognizes who Christ is. Then Jesus manifesting his great authority, he says to the man possessed by the devil, He says, be quiet, come out of him. So this man, the devil threw him on the ground. He was convulsing and he was totally cured, healed. The devil was cast out of this man. Jesus carried out this exorcism. So what I'd like to do is uh, just try to apply the life of Christ and what he's doing to our own lives. When we are tempted by the devil, there are many things we can do. Yesterday I mentioned the importance of wearing the scapular of Our Lady Mount Carmel. And he also mentioned the importance of using holy water. The devil hates the holy water because it's so humble and he's so proud. So have holy water in your homes, have holy water in your rooms. Spraying holy water is powerful. Here I have a holy water bar bottle from Lourdes, France. From Lourdes, France. The holy water from Lourdes, France. Today I'd like to mention another thing to conquer the the devil, the evil spirit. And it would be when we're tempted to pray the prayer to Saint Michael the Archangel. The prayer to St. Michael the Archangel, my friends, is a powerful prayer. The origin 
of this prayer of St. Michael the Archangel goes back about 150 years ago. There was a great pope. His name was Leo XIII. Who wrote many encyclicals on the Holy Rosary every year, about six years in October. He was also instrumental in writing Rerum Novarum, which is the foundational encyclical on the social doctrine of the Church. But he had a he had a vision, Leo the Thirteenth, and the vision was he saw that the smoke of Satan the smoke of Satan was entering into the church. This was 150 years ago. Now we can really see what has happened in the past past uh, two or three decades how the smoke of Satan has really entered into the church. So he formulated a prayer in honor of St. Michael the Archangel. And this prayer was prayed after the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. This prayer was prayed after the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And parishes now are doing that. We're doing that in our parish of St. Peter Chanel. At the end of the Mass, we're We're praying the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel to um, with our people. It's been our custom also at the end of the rosary to pray the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. So that's just a point, a summary of yesterday's gospel. Today, today's gospel is still in... Mark chapter 1, verse 29 to 39. I would like to divide the gospel today into three different parts. But as a, as a background to this, now that we're entering into the ordinary time, into the public life of Christ, is give you a brief summary, a brief summary of the public life of Christ, the public life of Christ, I'd like to just to summarize it in three basic activities. So that when you're reading through the Gospels, you'll be aware of these three basic activities that Christ was carrying out. First would be abundant preaching and teaching. Jesus was the greatest of preachers or teachers that ever lived and no one will ever go beyond him. With pride we should say, Jesus is our master. 
He's our teacher. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's our light. He's the light of the world. So we open up the Gospels today. We're getting to. We're sitting at the feet of the Master. The second. The second would be. Jesus carried out many miracles. The miracles could be divided, I think, into two categories. Miracles of healing. Jesus would heal the sick. Restoring sight to the blind. Hearing to the deaf. Speech to the mute. Walking to the paralytics. Raising even people who had died. Cleansing lepers either by touching them or by his mere word. The other form of miracles that he carried out were miracles over nature. Miracles over nature. Not quite as many as the miracles of healing, but he did carry out miracles over nature. <clears throat> the first would be his first miracle there in the wedding feast of Cain in John chapter 2, where our Lord turns water into wine through the mediation of his mother Mary. Then he walked on water. Then he calmed the storm. He multiplied the loaves and the fish. He's showing that he has dominion even, even over, over nature. And even though God has created the laws of nature, he can suspend them. And the reason why he carried out the miracles, we read this in John chapter 8, he said to the doubters, the cynics, the skeptics, of his day. If you don't believe in my words, at least believe in my works. Many were, many were questioning his teaching, even though he spoke with authority, not like the scribes and Pharisees. But he's pointing out the fact that if you're not going to believe in my teaching, then believe in my works because only God can perform these stupendous miracles. And the third activity of Christ is we saw it yesterday and we see it today in the Gospel of St. Mark chapter 1 is that Jesus also he was instrumental in in exorcisms, meaning the casting out of evil spirits. So there's a, a summary of the chief apostolic works that Christ would carry out. The chief apostolic works that Christ would carry out would be teacher, 
healer or miracle worker, an exerciser. There we have it. So today, today, we have 11 verses. And I think these 11 verses, I like to, I like to summarize these 10, 11 verses in this way. It would be a typical day in the life of our Lord in these three years that he was busy in his public ministry. This would be a typical day. We really see how, how busy he was. So we start off with Jesus leaves the synagogue of Capernaum. And it seems as if this synagogue is not far from the house of Simon, Peter, and Andrew. So, Jesus goes to the house of Simon, Peter, and Andrew. And right away they tell Jesus that the mother-in-law of Simon Peter is very sick. She's in bed with a very high fever. So they tell Jesus of this. Here we see the power of intercession to, to tell the Lord about people that are sick, that are ailing. That's what we should do when we pray. Talk to the Lord by maybe a family member that's morally sick. Lord, Lord, heal. Heal my son who no longer goes to church. Heal my daughter-in-law that's very angry at God. Let's bring our petitions to Christ. He's just as strong today as he was 2,000 years ago. So Jesus hears and he responds to their petition. So he goes into the house of um, Simon Peter. And actually this is one of the scenes in the movie of Jonathan Rumi chosen. This is one of the scenes you can actually see. Jesus goes into the room, sees the mother-in-law of St. Peter, who's very sick. And Jesus goes to her right away. He takes her by the hand. Says he grasped her hand. So Jesus takes, he grasps her hand. He, 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 He gets a hold of her. There's a meditation for ourselves. How many times do we see the hand of Christ active? He's grasping her by the hand. When Peter was sinking in the water, he grasped the hand of Peter. Hands of Jesus would bless the children. The hand of Jesus would touch the blind man's eyes and restore him to sight. 
the hand of Jesus would actually touch the leper and the leper would be cleansed. The hands of Jesus would take bread and wine and say, take and eat, this is my body. Take and drink, this is my blood. He would take bread and wine at the Last Supper and he would transform the bread and wine into his body and blood. And then Jesus would extend his hands to be nailed to the cross Good Friday for our eternal salvation. Then after he rose from the dead, Thomas the doubter, he said, touch my hands and believe. Blessed are those who believe without having seen. So here we see, here we see in the life of Christ, his response to someone asking him to do a favor. Let us do the same. Let us not be afraid to approach Christ and say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Now, once Christ has helped us, what does this mother-in-law do? It's interesting. Soon as she's healed, she does not think about herself. You might have thought, well, she would have said, yeah, make me, make me dinner, give me something cold to drink. She doesn't think about herself, but rather, says she began to serve she began to serve and to wait on them. You can imagine her getting up, going and preparing a meal for Jesus and his disciples upon being healed. We are called also, my friends, to to serve others. We are called, my friends, to serve others. Jesus said, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and give his life in ransom for many. God has given us hands and feet to serve others. Early this morning I was listening to a conversation with God on relevant radio and this is one of the messages that I heard. That in the uh, Second World War in a little town in Germany, there was uh, a church that was greatly damaged by the bombardments. And the big, old, beautiful cross that was on the wall in the church 
had been greatly damaged. And they were thinking, what would be the best thing to do? What would be the best thing to do to uh, just restore the cross with another cross that would be like a replica of it because the people really like that cross. But the pastor decided not to do that. <coughs> what he did was he wrote beneath the cross, I need your arms and your legs. I need your arms and your legs. What we're saying is that the mother-in-law of Peter was healed and this mother-in-law got up and she started to serve others. Serve Jesus and others. She received healing so that she could be of service to others. Sometimes we complain because we have too much work. And my thought is this. Would you prefer to be would you prefer to be in the wheelchair <coughs> or would you prefer to be pushing the wheelchair? I'll ask the question again. Do you prefer to be in the wheelchair <coughs> or to be pushing the wheelchair? I think most of us would say I prefer to be pushing the wheelchair than to be in the wheelchair. So that's the first scene. The Gospel today presents three, three different scenes, contemplative scenes in the life of Christ. And we want to uh, enter into the Ignatian mode and become part of the life of Christ. Not as a passive spectator, Not as a passive spectator, but we want to be as an active participant. Not as a passive spectator, but as an active participant. So the second scene is it's evening. And the sun is going down. And we see Jesus busy. In the movie, The Chosen really depicts this well. The chosen apostles are following Christ. And one day is one day where a whole line of people. whole line of people that are afflicted by many ailments. They're, they're lining up. They're lining up so that they can meet Jesus the healer and be healed. 
So our Lord is working many hours. That scene shows Peter and the apostles and even Ima, which means his mother Mary, that are there in the evening waiting for him. After our Lord finishes healing a long line of people, long day work, he walks in front of the apostles, greets them, goes into his tent, and he's exhausted, and his mother Mary washes his feet. He is just exhausted because of the hard work of healing the people. And that's what we have is the second part. He's basically doing two things. He is casting out the demons. We mentioned earlier that our Lord was very busy in his public life preaching, teaching, healing, carrying out miracles over nature, but our Lord spent some of his time casting out demons. People were possessed by demons. And he told them not to speak about him. So that would be the second part of the gospel today. Related to us, we may pray in this fashion. Lord, Lord, heal me. Lord, touch me and heal me. As you healed many people years ago by your word and by your grasping of the hand, as we saw with the mother-in-law, I truly and honestly believe that you can heal me. Now this healing will come about today by union with Christ most specifically this will come about by our contact with Christ in his mystical body of the church in the reception of the sacraments. Actually, there are, in the church, there are sacraments divided into three categories. You have the sacraments of initiation, baptism, communion, confirmation. Then you have the sacraments of service, which would be the sacraments of holy matrimony and holy orders. Then you have the sacraments of healing. These sacraments of healing would be the anointing of the sick, but also the sacrament of penance or reconciliation. So we can draw close to Christ and say that prayer, Lord, 
you healed the people during your life on earth, but you're present in your church, the mystical body. Lord, Lord, touch me. Lord, heal me. So that would be the second the second scene in the gospel today. Let's move to the third. St. Mark highlights when our Lord would get up. Seems as if our Lord did not spend, he did not spend a lot of time sleeping or eating or worrying about clothes. But his focus was on doing the will of his Heavenly Father. It was focused on saving humanity as well as each and every one of us individually. So the last part of the Gospel today says that Jesus, he rises very early in the morning, before dawn. Very early in the morning before dawn. Why would he get up so early? So he gets up and he goes and he finds, <coughs> Mark points out, <coughs> a deserted place. A deserted place where there's solitude and silence so that he can, <coughs> excuse me, so he can dedicate himself to prayer, to communion with God, to this intimate dialogue between him and the Father. In other words, he's giving his first fruit of the day to a lengthy period of prayer with the Eternal Father. Lengthy prayer to the Eternal Father. How does this speak to us? Well, in concrete, in our Perseverance family, we're, we're here together as a family. When I give the spiritual exercises program, I give the tripod, the weekly talk, the group sharing. However, the very heart of our program is that we have to dedicate time to making a daily holy hour. As Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen says, the hour of power. 
That's right, the hour of power. And I suggest to the people, this passage, this is a passage I'll, I'll mention in my talk, where it says our Lord got up way before dawn. Way before dawn. Way before dawn. And he was absorbed in prayer. There we have our Lord making his holy hour, holy hours. Way before dawn and absorbed in prayer. So why not take this biblical passage today? Why not take this biblical passage today of Jesus getting up way before dawn and being absorbed in prayer? So that we can renew our commitment at the beginning of this new year. We're just 10 days, 11 days into this new year. Let's make a renewed commitment in our lives to try this year to be really faithful to our prayer life. Really faithful to our prayer life. Knowing that our prayer life Our holy hour is the hour of power. If we want God to use us as efficacious tools or instruments to evangelize, to save souls, we have to have a deep union with Christ. John 15. I am the vine and you are the branches. My Father cuts off the branches that do not produce fruit. I've come that you have life and life in abundance. So the more deeply we are united to Christ by imitating him in a deep prayer life, the more fruitful will be our life. You can't give what you don't have. So that's true. That's true. We really want to bring others to Christ. We have to have this deep union with Christ. And St. James says, Whoever brings back a wandering soul to the fold saves his life and expiates a multitude of sins. Then the apostles track Jesus down. They say, everyone is looking for you. So Jesus is like a magnet. Then he gets up and he says, let's go out to the nearby village that I may preach there also. For this purpose have I come. For this purpose have I come. 
So my friends, let us beg for this grace. This is the Ignatian grace. Let's pray that we would have an intimate knowledge of Christ, that we love Him more and follow Him more closely. And what Bev is saying, she's trying to bring seven people to the spiritual exercise, a program that will be starting in about a month. See, what we have in the following of Christ, we have a deep prayer life, then the call of the King. We're called to bring others to Christ the King and Mary the Queen. So, my friends, I'd like to give you my priestly blessing. Let's pray for each other that we would be faithful to our holy hour today, tomorrow and this year, in imitation of Christ, who got up early, way before dawn, and was absorbed in prayer. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.